Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, October 18th, we are studying Amos chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. The prophet continues to speak the word of the Lord against the foreign nations around Judah and Israel, and today he begins to hit a little bit closer to home. Today's text is the fourth in this series of eight, and it is a judgment against the nation of Edom. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thanks. So, Pastor Kilgo, let's let's keep this in context here and make sure we we know kind of what is what is Amos up to. This is now the fourth in this series of eight. We've seen three oracles so far. And this, this is a bit different today because this is going to be the first nation that is related to Israel, ethnically speaking. So, so just help us right. keep that big picture in mind. What, what is Amos up to here in chapters 1 and 2? Yeah, so there's, right, there, there's a total of, um, of eight oracles, right? Uh, Judah and Israel are the last two that we'll get to, but there's these two sets of three, right? So you've got uh, Damascus and Gaza and Tyre. Um, that are these these city states that are kind of all over the place, right? But then it kind of it, it's almost like Amos is slowly um, closing the closing the loop or the trap around um, around Judah and Israel, um, uh, but particularly eventually zooming into to Israel. It's like the the, the circle if you if you take the first three and you draw like a big circle uh, connecting the, the cities and everything. You get a pretty big region. Uh, you zoom in closer uh, with the next three, which is uh, today Edom and then Ammon and Moab. They're kind of all in a smaller area. Uh, they're to the uh, east of Judah and Israel. Uh, and then you zoom in more to Judah and then to Israel. Um, and I, I think uh, the, the, the guest, I, I forget who it was that was introducing Amos, was talking about this, how there's this, uh, there's this trap almost that, that the Lord is laying for, uh, for Israel in thinking, you know, yeah, go, go get them, God. Go, go tell all those pagans what's up. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and by the way, I have something for you. And when you get to um, the, uh, the judgment on Israel— uh, it's the longest, right? And that's where, I mean, it just goes really crazy. Um, the rest of them, even with Judah, are these these shorter, uh, like, two, three-verse uh, sections that, that, like, we've got today. But then it, I think that's how we want to see this, is how it it's slowly zooming in, and all of a sudden, Israel is just kind of caught off guard by their own sin and, and realizing that they're being lumped in with the rest of everybody else. Um, it, it's really similar, I think, to uh, is, in Ezekiel 16, uh, the Lord talks about the faithless 
his faithless bride and, and the beginning of 16 is really quite beautiful he, how he describes his bride uh, the, the church Israel um, and, and how he, he raised her and took care of her and then uh, he talks about how she committed spiritual adultery it went off after all these other gods that she was in fact worse than the prostitute but then you get to like how he's talking about her her sisters and daughters uh, um, the uh, um, Sodom is is thrown in there and it um, and, and at one point he says that you, you've made your sister Sodom appear righteous by your deeds, right? And and so the, the, the Lord does this in a number of places where uh, Israel ends up being kind of the, the worst of the group, uh, chiefly because they have the Lord's word, they have the Lord's prophets, and they've just ignored all of it. And they've decided that these other gods, these other um uh, religions and practices are better than what the Lord Himself has given them. I think you're. I think you're right. What what I've heard it called in the past is a, and I can't remember who who said it this way, but I think it's helpful. A rhetoric of entrapment that the the prophet oh, speaks. I like that. Yeah, in order to in order to allow the people to convict themselves. And you're right. You see examples of this mm-hmm. throughout the scriptures. Um, the prophet Nathan, when he comes to David in Second Samuel chapter twelve is probably one of the better known ones where he tells right. that story and David ends up convicting himself in the way that he judges it. And there's others example, other examples of that. And so I think that's a good way to look at Amos chapters one and two, where he's drawing that circle. I like the way you put that. The, the first three are a much wider circle, both geographically and ethnically around Israel. And now with today's mm-hmm text, he's starting to draw that closer circle, again, geographically and ethnically. And it starts with the nation of Edom. So we, we should do some background work on Edom before we start reading what's said to the nation. Who, who right. is Edom, Pastor Kilgo? Well, Edom is, I mean, this is really interesting, right? So um, Edom first shows up. It's, it's all the way back in Genesis. Um, and it's with uh, Esau. Um, and it's when when uh, Esau comes in and ja- uh, Jacob's cooking the stew and and Esau's tired and says, "Hey, give me give me something to to eat. Let me eat some of that stew because I'm exhausted." And then there's this parenthetical statement. It says, "Therefore, his name was called Edom." Um, and and Edom uh, means red, basically. Um, and uh, this is connected. He says that it's a red stew. Right, so so initially his name is connected to the stew that he sells his birthright for, and then later the the land of Edom uh, is apparently very red, um, and so it's connected to that as well. But but Edom is synonymous with Esau. Uh, over and over, you get this this phrase. It'll talk about Esau, and then um, uh, Moses will put this parenthetical statement um, that is, or namely Esau. Right, so. So we want to con- connect the two in our minds, um, and this is going to be really helpful because then we're going to see how this relationship pans out, right? So you've got Esau and Jacob that, as we know very well, are at odds with each other, like their whole lives, right? Um, especially after the selling of the, the birthright, and then um, Jacob stealing the uh, the blessing, uh, and in fact, the the, the quote-unquote blessing that's given to, to Esau uh, ends up being uh, kind of showing up here a little bit. Um, 
And so the, the, the Edomites then are all of the offspring of, um, of Esau. Uh, and the Edomites end up being um, one, of the, one of the instigators and, and people that the uh, people of Israel and Judah are uh, kind of constantly striving against because they're right there on the, uh, on the eastern border uh, by the um, so if, so if you go where the Red Sea is, if, if people know where the Red Sea is, kind of the tip, the southern tip of the Red Sea, draw a line east and then make a box um, going uh, southwest and then north again. That's kind of Edom right there. And the land of Judah and Israel is right on the other side. They are literally border areas. Um, so that, that's who, um, who Edom is, or the Edomites. Right. We're talking about the descendants of Esau. So, I mean, those are important things that we should keep in mind here. Jacob and Esau are very literally brothers. They're, in fact, twins. Esau the older and Jacob the younger. And so that history that we learned in that series with with Pastor Fisk several months ago is going to be important as we think about what's going to be said here in Amos chapter 2, that background of these two brothers as the two men. And also then some background on the, the people groups that came from Jacob, the Israelites on the one hand, and then the Edomites on the other. In general, I, I think we would say that as you trace the history of these two nations throughout the Old Testament, there are a few examples of some alliances, but for the most mm-hmm. part, it's it's a matter of hostility, right? Pastor Kogo, are there any particular right. incidents that, that we should think about when it comes to the, the history of, between these two nations? Yeah, so maybe maybe the big one that, that's actually going to connect uh, a, a lot in in this text is um, when the the Israelites are under the the care of Moses, um, they attempt to go up along this path called the King's Highway that's going to run right through the middle of Edom and up into Moab, um, and they're trying to take this because it's it's an easier path. They don't have to like go through the mountainous areas and they don't have to kind of go around the whole uh, nation of, of Edom. And as they come along, um, they're going to encounter um, particularly this, this, uh, the city of Bozra, which we're going to have in, in the text. And, uh, and it's, they're going to be um, driven back by the sword is, is how it, how it goes. Um, and and they're not allowed to pass through, and so they have to um, uh, go around uh, the the whole area, right? Um, and this is in um, uh, Numbers chapter twenty. Uh, so so this this is a this is a kind of a major narrative that shows up in which you you see this conflict. Uh, that's still going on, and and the whole thing, like when you when you read this, as you said, there are a few times where there's uh, there's alliances, and it's usually an alliance against another um, city, state, or nation, or whatever. Um, but it very much reminds me of like this Hatfield and McCoy sort of thing going on, where you have this this rivalry that starts with two brothers. And that rivalry just kind of gets passed down to all of the descendants. And so, uh, so you've got all the Edomites, like, just always seem to not want to cooperate with the Israelites and, 
um, and those of Judah. So we remember that from Jacob, who becomes Israel, right? So those are the Israelites, but he also has one of the sons, Judah. So Judah, um, the nation of Judah is also directly connected into this as well. So uh, we won't remember that. But it's like they're, they're um, you know, you're, you're hundreds of years removed from, from the events that caused the conflict. Um, and they probably know the story, but it, but at some point you you have to kind of say, look, I mean, you you guys are kindred, you are related by blood, literally, um, from your from your patriarchs, from the the patriarchs that, that fathered your your people. Drop, you know, just bury the hatchet and uh, and be kinsmen again, right? Uh, forgive one another, and it's just it's like it just can't happen for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where you see Amos. It, it makes sense that Amos moves as he draws this t- tighter circle. That he moves first to Edom. He's he's just gotten done talking about the covenant of brotherhood under the city state of Tyre, right? And we we talked about that yesterday. Right. That that the idea of of the covenant of brotherhood probably very specifically refers to the matter of a treaty. Even as you can also consider the brotherhood that exists between all humanity, sharing the you know the creation of God. Now, with Edom, we're going to hear that term about being brothers again, and it's it's going to be very literal between Jacob and Esau, Jacob and, and Edom again. And so, I mean, you see how Amos is he's doing something quite masterful here in terms of the, the way he's structuring this. The other thing I think we should point out briefly in terms of context is even though this is the first or it is the oracle against Edom particularly, Edom has actually already shown up in these oracles against yeah. the nations already, both Gaza and Twice. Tyre. Yeah, I mean, so so Edom, Edom apparently not only, it, it would seem that Edom not only has a reputation for being hostile towards their brothers in Israel, but a pretty hostile nation in general, it would seem, from these other oracles. Yeah, well, and, and I would say not hostile, but just kind of wicked, right? Because um, so, so they engage in trade with uh, Tyre, um, and with Gaza. And the interesting thing about this, right, is Gaza is going to be a southern uh, a southern nation. Tyre's up north of them, pretty far away. But um, you have, because Edom sits along, like I said, this King's Highway, um, it's a major trade route. Um, and so they're kind of like right in the middle of this. And so they can get um, uh, lots of different trade. And one of the things that apparently they, they trade in is people. Um, and they take slaves. But what's interesting is when they talk about the the, um, the slaves, it, it's not just some. It says a whole people. It's like uh, Tyre or Gaza had gone along and they had conquered an area and they just like round everybody up. And they're like, hey, we know who will buy them. It's Ed- Edom. They'll buy all these people. And and I guess Edom had like a, a, a copper mine um, in the mountain areas. And so they needed lots of workers um, and kind of a constant supply of them because it's dangerous uh, and difficult work and people will die and, and get injured pretty regularly. So you just, you need lots of people to, to take care of this. So it seems like uh, uh, Edom is just kind of, uh, kind of at this hub almost of, of wickedness. Um, they actually show up again um, two oracles later, they'll show up again. What's interesting this time, they're kind of on the receiving end uh, of Moab, um, that Moab burns the kings of Edom. Um, uh, and then they show up one more time in Amos. They're, they're the, the, the people that show up 
the most within the whole prophet. They show up one more time, and that's in uh, chapter 9, uh, all the way at the, at the end. It's uh, 9-12 during um, the, the, the very last section of Amos where we get the gospel preached, um, the, um, uh, when, the, when the Lord uh, returns and everything. And it seems like there, and this is uh, Dr. Lessing makes this point in his commentary, uh, and I think he's right, that it seems like there Edom is being used as kind of a placeholder for all the Gentiles. And the reason he says that is because of how Edom is connected uh, to Tyre, to Gaza, and to Moab, right? And if you think about geographically where that's at, that's, um, that is the whole line from north to the, to the middle of this whole thing down to the south. And it's all the Gentile um, uh, peoples, right? So this is the—it um, kind of stands in for all these people. And when you draw this back and you connect it into— um, Esau and Jacob and their relationship, it very much makes sense, this kind of rejoining together of what was uh, severed uh, there, that the Lord is going to join these uh, this family essentially back together the way it ought to have been from the beginning uh, through Christ. That's a that's a really powerful image to think about, and yeah, I, I like I like that move that that you make from Doctor Lessing's commentary. I think he's he's right. Uh, I mean, of course, I think he's right. <laughs> um, he was my <laughs> professor, after all. Yeah, um, yeah. The the remnant of Edom in Amos chapter nine, and and you're not the first guest to to reference that. It's hard not to in the book of Amos because, as you said, these first couple chapters, and then as as we keep going, it's it's going to be almost all law here in Amos until you get to chapter nine and the gospel there is going to be mm-hmm. beautiful. And the way that it's preached there, not only that, that the fallen booth of David is going to be restored. That is the the Israelites, but also the, this remnant of Edom, the Gentiles too are going to be brought in through faith in Christ. And so as we see Edom here in the first two chapters being connected to these various foreign nations in their sins, we also want to keep in mind what's coming and the whole purpose of Amos preaching to these foreign nations here is so that they too would repent and, and be able to hear that, that gospel that's coming towards the end of the book. Any more introductory comments there, uh, Pastor Kogo, before we dig into the text? I think one more thing with Edom is um, I would encourage the, the, the listener to go and right after Amos is the book of Obadiah, which is basically an entire uh, prophecy of the destruction of Edom. Like that's basically what Obadiah is, is the destruction of Edom. Um, and it's one of these books, you know, we, uh, we ignore this um, uh, because it's so short, we're like, well, you know, there there can't be that much in there. It's only 21 verses. It's kind of like reading Philemon, right? I mean, what do we care? We'd rather go to the to the bigger stuff. But there there's just a ton of stuff going on in, in Obadiah. Um, and one of the things that you see showing up in there um, is that this prophecy of the of the destruction of of Edom, um, in, in comparison to um, Judah and Israel. Um, or, or Jacob and Joseph in, in this case. Um, and it's verse 18 of Obadiah. It says that he says, the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau's double. Right. So that that's um, uh, Edom, as we've been talking about. Uh, they shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. 
but then it goes on that those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. So you get the, this language of kind of the, the possessing um, that shows up again um, from Amos, right? That they may possess the remnant of Edom, right? So, uh, so Obadiah, I think, is actually really instructive in kind of how the the judgment plays out. Um, uh, but I mean, we—I don't think we really have time to go through through all of that. Uh, but for the listener, I mean, it's 21 verses. It's a quick read. Read that, and it really does help to to inform uh, what's going on. Yeah, the book of Obadiah, right after the book of Amos, take a look at it and, and get that background information, especially when it comes to the judgment that Edom's going to receive. So with that, let's go ahead and, and read the verses that we have before us on this side of the break and start looking at them, Pastor Kilgo. This is Amos chapter 1, okay. verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. There's the, the text that we have before us today. we got a few minutes here before the, the break, Pastor Kilgo. Um, so if, if you want, we can start digging into the specific sin, the transgression of Edom that's there. Or if you'd like, Feel free to, to give us any comments on some of those repeated elements that we've been seeing. Thus says the Lord, three transgressions and yeah. four. I will not revoke the punishment. So if you want to if you want to address any of those similarities from one oracle to the next, feel free to do so here on this side of the break. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm and I didn't get a chance to listen to the last couple of ones, so I don't know what was said about this. Um, did anybody bring up um, this idea of the for three transgressions and for four um, the Generally, we take this as like a staircase um, prophecy, where you're just kind of—it's three and yeah. it's four. Did, well, that, did anybody generally, bring up the idea of seven? No, not yet. And so, if you want to, generally, the 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 general consensus has been the idea of three and four is a, a stair step, um, an escalation. This is a matter of continued unrepentant sin, and it's getting worse and worse. That's been the the general sort of of Right uh, way we've been looking at it, but if if you've got another thought on it, feel free to to put that out there. Yeah, so so Dr. Lessing brings up the, this um, uh, somewhat, somewhat briefly in his commentary, and I think that it's interesting to think about this that that perhaps you have both things going on, that it is escalating, but the the use of three and four put together, uh, giving you kind of a whole of seven, right, and seven being in the scriptures this this number of completion, right. This may be a little bit of a key then as to, you know, now they, the, the sin is, for lack of a better word, complete, right? It, it's at its uh, fullness. And so now the Lord is going to bring his, his wrath and judgment against it, um, which, which teaches us two things. Um, one, that there is a, um, a limit to which the, the Lord will allow things to happen, but that the Lord is steadfast. Um, and and merciful, and he's slow to anger, so he he allows things to kind of keep moving on. Um, uh, essentially, for lack of a better word, with the hopes of that that they will repent, that they will through through his word repent from their sin and turn back before he has to rain his wrath down upon them. Right, the, the, the Lord is kind of giving 
chance after chance after chance after chance to, to turn from this. Um, so I think this is, and I would be curious to know your, your thoughts on this, on not only this, this intensifying three to four, uh, but also three and four put together that this is kind of the, the fullness idea. I, I find that very intriguing. I, I saw that in, in Dr. Lessing's commentary as well. And, and it, I, I was a math major in college. And so I, I like numbers and math and, and putting them together <laughs> and getting to seven makes a lot of sense to me. And, and it also makes sense to me in terms of what Amos is doing. And we mentioned this at the, the beginning in terms of the, this rhetoric of entrapment that Amos is drawing up here. And when you look mm -hmm. at it, you've got two series of three, as you pointed out, number seven, right. which, which would be the last one, right? Would be Judah, the Southern people. And that's even where Amos is from. And so this whole matter of three and then four pointing to the number seven completion, that fits in with what Amos is doing. He gets to seven Judah, the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, are thinking, oh, he's done now, right? This is the, the end, the climax of the sermon. But then he adds number eight, which is Israel, which is the longest. So I, I, right. I'm, I find that that yeah. concept of three plus four is seven, a matter of completion. It seems to me to fit very well into what Amos is doing here in the first two chapters. The other, the other suggestion that I think Dr. Lessing puts out there, and I'm not sure that he would suggest that this is right or not, but he's, he's just putting out what some others have, have said that, that I find intriguing is the matter of, of three and four, you could connect potentially to, to what we commonly call in our catechism, the close of the commandments, where the Lord talks about, about those who, who break his commandments. And he talks about mm -hmm. the, the he says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so perhaps the numbers right. three and four would connect to that as well. I find, I find both of those, those thoughts also intriguing as, as connections that you can make very specifically to other parts of the biblical texts. Even while right. I, I also, I think in general, just this rhetorical device that we've, we've seen him use, it, it fits well and maybe he chose three and four to match those numbers too. So I, I, I appreciate you bringing that out for us, Pastor Kogo. Any other um, yeah. comments on, on just sort of the, the basic layout of this, this Oracle on this side of the break? No, I, th I think that's, that's probably pretty sufficient. All right. So we will dig in more specifically to the sins of Edom on the other side of the break, which we will take right now here on Sharper Iron. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Music can both arouse and express feelings of happiness, fear, loneliness, desire. Music is also able to pray. And on the next Sing for Joy, you will hear it do that very well. We hope you'll join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. 
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Friday, October 18th. We're looking at Amos chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 with Pastor Sean Kilgo of the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we've been discussing Edom and their history with the people of Israel. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, so they are related ethnically by blood to the people of Israel. We talked about the the general format that we've been seeing here in these oracles against the nations. And now we need to look specifically at what is put out there against Edom, this transgression that the Lord is going to hold against them, and he will not revoke the punishment for it. And just just looking at it, you know, each time, even though it says three or four, usually there's just one thing listed. And I think you can probably count what's listed against Edom as one thing, but it's it's a run-on sentence, it, it seems, and, and as if yeah. the what Edom is doing, it just keeps going on and on and on. And so we can, we can look at kind of each individual thing as, as a, as a unit or everyone and do it, but it starts right with what we've been talking about. He pursued his brother with the sword and the background of Jacob and Esau is very instructive for that line in particular. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting thing. You, you mentioned this. It, um, you can, and I Dr. Lessing didn't, didn't bring this up, but you could almost make the case um, that there are four different things going on here, which is interesting. Um, I don't think it quite works out, and it doesn't match with kind of the other oracles, but it is. it, it would be interesting. I mean, as, as unique as Edom is within the various oracles and how it kind of stands at this, this little hub, um, it, it would be interesting to kind of dig at that a little bit. Um, but yeah, this uh, he pursued his brother with a sword. Uh, I we we talked about this earlier. The Moses and the Israelites trying to come up and uh, being um, being cast off by the um, by the Edomites there uh, in in numbers. That this seems to be the the primary reference um, going on, which is interesting, um, but it. But you could make the case with um, uh, just a, a, a variety of times in which in which Edom uh, is is confronting Israel or Judah um, uh, with the sword, like quite literally, um, and, and they, they they fight back against them. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the the revolt too. Um, 
during the during the time of Jehoshaphat, um, you you have um, uh, Edom without a king, right? So so you would think that okay, maybe they would uh, stand under the authority of Jehoshaphat, but they don't. They're like, no, no, that's not our king. We're gonna fight back against them. Um, but uh, so so in Numbers twenty, this this is actually how how the how the text reads. Um, uh, so, so Moses sends a messenger um, to to the king of Edom, um, asking for passage, and they they say no. Um, and then it said, e- Edom said to him, "You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you." Um, uh, and then, and a little bit later, and Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Right, so so you've, that's actually the language of that of that passage. So so I I think that that is a direct reference to that, and then just kind of everything else is um, extra um, in, right. in terms of the the violence. Right, it, it just keeps building upon that. And and when you look at that incident, particularly in Numbers twenty, Israel is there just coming out of Egypt, a, a brand new nation that the Lord has brought out journeying towards the promised land at a time of great need. And and so to to fail to show compassion at that moment in particular, to even pursue them with the sword, stands out among other incidents that you would have between Edom and Israel as, as a particularly violent moment, a particular uh, moment without any compassion at all. And, and just, I, I would also point out as well, because I think you brought this up uh, previously, when when you get the blessing of Jacob, when he steals the the blessing from his mm-hmm. father Isaac, and then Esau comes around second and says, don't you have anything left for me? One of the things that Isaac says to Esau in Genesis 27 is, by your sword yep. you shall live. And so you, you see that happening quite literally here in Amos chapter 1. Right. And then I, I think you're right. It, it keeps building as this oracle continues. And the next line in particular is is worth a bit of our attention because there's some perhaps some translation issues that, that we need to look at when it comes to what the ESV translates as cast off all pity. There may be another more right. specific way to look at that, Pastor Kogo. Yeah. So the way Dr. Lessing translates this, and, and he notes that um, uh, King James, RSV, ESV, New King James, NASB, be. They all translate this in a similar way, um, but he notes that um, there's there's two things going on here um, that you have um, uh, uh, you you have a concrete object, um, his brother in the in the first one, his, he pursued his brother with a sword, and you don't have a concrete object in the second one, um, but the the verb kind of wants to have one and they're depending on whether it has a concrete object or not depends on how you translate it so if it has a concrete object you're going to um uh, connect it with the the word meaning womb instead of um uh uh mercy right um and and so uh what what dr lessing uh proposes is that it should be um uh, translated, um, and he destroyed his brother's pregnant women. Um, uh, so, so, and there's 
there's a couple things with this that I really like about that move. One, linguistic, um, grammatically, I think that it's probably the better choice, um, kind of taking everything together. I think that um, linguistically, um, it's helpful because you have the, the men in the first line, and then you have women and children in the second line. So this is kind of an all-encompassing deal. That the Edom doesn't just go after the men, but also the women and children. And then, as, as we've seen, Edom's been connected to the two previous prophets, to the two previous oracles, and this would then connect Edom with the oracle against the Ammonites, um, who uh, the, the the next guest will talk about more, but because they have ripped open other pregnant women in Gilead, right? So that that's one of the, the things that's mentioned against the Ammonites. So I I think that that translation actually makes a lot more sense uh, for this uh, in order for it to connect with the other ones and or and in order for it to, to connect with the very preceding line. Um, uh, and, and again, just showing the, the, the great wickedness of the Edomites here. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and just to, to kind of summarize again, the line we're talking about in the English Standard Version, ESV, is translated, cast off all pity. And that word for pity that's translated there in Hebrew is related to the same word for a, a mother's womb in Hebrew. And that I think that makes a lot of sense in most people's minds. When you think of words like pity, compassion, mercy, you would connect them to a mother's love for her child. And so to see those two words related in Hebrew, that's where that's where this translation issue comes up. Should we take it as a more abstract term that pity, mercy, compassion, and that's what's being cast off? Or should we take it more concretely? And, and translated something quite more like, literally like cast off their wombs or something like that very literally, and then see that as a, an expression of, you know, harming the pregnant women. And, and like you said, there's a number of, of wonderful reasons to take it that way. Contextually, it does fit that Edom is hurting the men, the women, and the children of their own brothers, Israel. I, I would add that, that the most recent version of the New International Version, the NIV, I'm looking at it on BibleGateway.com right now, does take it this way that we're talking about. It, it translates that, oh, really? that Edom, yeah, it says that they slaughtered the women of the land. That's not the the NIV that a lot of, that I grew up with and probably you grew up with and a lot of our hearers grew up with in that Concordia Self-Study Bible. That was written in, or that came from 1984. That one does not have this translation, but the more recent updating of the NIV does have this this concept that slaughtering the women of the land is there. And so again, and, and another thing that I think is, is very fitting when it comes to this being attributed to Edom is especially when you consider that this, this Hebrew word is related to the mother's womb and you go back to Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Esau literally shared their mother's womb. They were twins. Right. And so you you see, right. I mean, pursuing his brother with the sword and then slaughtering the wombs of, of Israel. This is just a complete renunciation of the good gift that had been given by God to the people of Edom. And, and it does connect very well contextually with the rest of, of what's going on here in, in Amos chapter one. So I, I, I too think that that's, that we should hear 
you know, in the in the ESV, he pursued his brother with a sword, and then something like this that he he um, destroyed their pregnant women, or something to to that effect. Right. I, I think is well, is and, kind of the gist. Go ahead, Pastor Kogo. Well, and and the, this this translation we have in the ESV actually helps in kind of getting also. I I think if there was a way to kind of combine them and and get the whole thing, I just don't know that you can do it and keep the poetry and keep the flow of all this. Uh, this cast off all pity, right? If you think about um, the way kind of most of the warrior codes that you find out there, um, mm. you you don't attack um, an unarmed person, um, and you specifically you leave the women and children alone. And so when you see like these these uh, just evil kind of barbarous forces that that go through various areas uh, and and slaughter countries, usually one of the things that's always brought up about them is how they would slaughter the women and children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these, um, they, they don't have pity on the defenseless, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's kind of instructive here in understanding maybe uh, uh, behind this, what's behind this idea of um, uh, just destroying um, his, the, the as it's translated, um, destroying his brother's pregnant women, right? That there, there is no um, pity or mercy um, in their dealings with others, right? And particularly right. in their dealing with their, their kindred. And, it, and again, I mean, it, it connects to what you mentioned kind of at the beginning. Um, one of the transgressions, uh, uh, oracles against Tyre, is that they— they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood, right? That there is a very literal covenant of brotherhood that ought to exist here, and the and the Edomites, and and in fact, we we shouldn't the the um, the Israelites don't do this either. They go and they like will will like invade uh, Edom and like conquer them at periods too. So they're not guiltless any of this. Um, so it's this back and forth sort of thing that the Edom apparently in the manner in which they deal with. Um, uh, the, the Israelites is, is rather wicked. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think what what you said there about this translation that we're talking about, it's not that that cast off all pity is a bad translation. It's, it's actually a very good translation. It, mm-hmm. What we're saying is that perhaps we can be a bit more specific as to what it looked like for the Edomites to cast right. off all pity. It wasn't just a sort of a generic, they had no mercy on anybody, but the way that that manifested itself was the fact that they were actually slaughtering the pregnant women of the people of Israel. And so it was, it's a more specific way of seeing what that means to cast off all pity. Hebrew is, right. is a, a good language for that because it can combine all of that in that one word. In, in the English right. translation, we have to do a little bit more work to, to bring that out. But, but that's, that's why we're, we're doing that. And, and I think it's a very helpful thing to see. It, it really brings out just how heinous these sins of the Edomites are that the Lord would call them to repentance. And, of course, all the while, so, so that we don't get too far removed from this, right? All the while, keep in mind what Amos is doing. He's not inviting us or his hearers simply to cheer on, yeah, get them, but he, he's working to bring about repentance for the people listening. And so as we hear about these things, we too are invited to examine our own lives for, for our own repentance. As we, as we think about these, these atrocities, we should 
see that that same sin, that sin and sinful nature resides within us and the need for repentance is, right. is there for us as well. So the the text continues then, and again, we just keeps piling on, right? He's pursued his brother with the sword. He's, he's even gone after the pregnant women. And then you get these parallel concepts. His anger tore perpetually. He kept his wrath forever. The, the matter of anger, the anger and hatred and wrath within the people of Edom was so great. I mean, I think there's there's plenty to talk about there in those two phrases as well, Pastor Kilgo. Yeah, so there's, and this is kind of connected with what I mentioned earlier, kind of this Hatfield-McCoy kind of rivalry sort of thing, that there's just, it's like there's just not an end to this, right? Um, uh, and that's, that's so clearly seen um, in these these kind of qualifying words, perpetually and forever, right? Um, that um, they they are not going to forgive um, uh, the the offspring of um, Jacob for what Jacob did to Esau, right? That that's kind of the idea, right? It all, it's all stemming back to that, um, and so uh, the the nation of Edom. Uh, is it's just going to constantly forever um uh, and this is such a vivid language tear in anger um and in wrath against um against the offspring of jacob right we're, we're just gonna do this and you see this i mean even um in the manner in which jacob and esau like deal with each other jacob is like always worried about how Esau is going to come after him. Like, is Esau going to, what, what's Esau going to do to me because of what I did to him? Right. Um, and so there's, there's this kind of constant fear on, on the one side and just this, this malice and hatred uh, that shows up in, in the other. Um, I, I, I don't really know what, what more to, um, to say about it. Well, one, one thing, um, the, this language of, of tearing, and, and I don't know if, um, I, I didn't look to see if this is the same word or not, but um, in in the Psalm, uh, Psalm uh, one one thirty seven, uh, mm. you you have the reminder that the Edomites apparently at the destruction of the temple, kind of cheered on the destruction of the temple, and the Psalm says, uh, uh, "Tear it down, tear it down to its foundations." I don't know if that's the same word or tear here, it probably is, would be my guess. Um, but, but you can, you can hear, you know, the, the, even just this, you know, they're, they're seeing the, the temple in Jerusalem being destroyed and they're cheering it on. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just kind of the, the, the height the, and that's, that's at the core of this, right. Their, their hatred for, their brother, their, their, their sins against the, the second table of the law and not loving their neighbor and particularly their, their brother um, stems from ultimately their hatred of the Lord, right? And, and you see that reflected in how they, they are glad when, when the Lord's house is destroyed, right? The place where his word would be preached. Right. And, and that, I mean, that event that Psalm 137 would be referencing happens about 150, 160 years after the preaching of Amos. And, and so to see how right. the anger continued 
even after what Amos preaches, I, I think is, is very instructive. And, and the only the only comment that I, I think I would add, and if you want to you want to jump onto this, feel free to do so. But just it these two lines, I think, show us the great importance of, of praying the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, that the Lord would forgive us our trespasses so that we would forgive those who trespass against us. When when Jesus right. speaks in the Gospels of forgiving the ones who sin against you, not just seven times, but 70 times seven, <laughs> there's a reason he wants you to do that. Because look at what the anger between Jacob and Esau that, that, I mean, by this time, like you said, there's really no no good reason for it at this point. They're just remembering the sins of the fathers, and they, they won't forgive. Look at the great enmity that it leads to. And, and so, I mean, just and, and maybe just to, to tie up what I'm trying to say, when Jesus teaches us to forgive, we do so because of the great forgiveness he's lavished upon us. But just look at the right. the, the earthly wisdom of it as well. How, how much more peaceful is life when, when we are willing to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us, stemming from, from what he's done? And, and to see the example here of the Edomites against the Israelites is, is just a very sad realization as to how life goes when we, when we don't do as the Lord gives. Yeah, so, so um, kind of two, two thoughts there. And, you know, we have this great psalm, right, um, uh, how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity, um, which interestingly enough, for those that don't know, that this is um, the psalm that is appointed, if I remember correctly, for the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, um, which is a nice move theologically, that our dwelling together in unity is at first and foremost a theological unity and then kind of a, a um, brother unity. But just in general, I mean, things go better when you have... Um, uh, at, at the very least, the congeniality between one another. But then you mentioned Jesus and uh, and this forgiveness thing. I was thinking about this uh, when Jesus is uh, teaching the disciples regarding the Tower of Siloam, right? I think this fits really nicely in what Amos is doing here and what we're going to eventually be pushing to with, with Israel. Uh, that, you know, the disciples ask, you know, um, who sinned that, that causes this? That, that caused this this tragedy, right? And Jesus says, um, that's not what you should be looking at. You should see this, uh, the destruction of the Tower of Siloam and the, and the killing of the men there, and repent of your own sin, lest it happen to you as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can hear St. Paul echoing that, like again in 1 Corinthians, where he's talking about um, uh, not engaging in evil. He talks about sexual morality there, and he says... Um, uh, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Right. So, so this this preaching that the Lord is always doing against our own pridefulness and thinking that we're better than everybody else. Right. And that's not the point that the Lord is trying to get across here. He's saying you are just as bad, and you need to repent lest the Lord's wrath fall upon you as well. Right. Mm-hmm. That the Lord right. the Lord is gracious and merciful. He he does forgive. Um, he has shed his blood for these things. Um, but if you remain in your sin, it, you also remain in his wrath. Right. Um, and, and maybe um, I, I don't think we've got a whole lot of time, but I did want to bring this up connected to this. Um, the, these two towns that are talked about at the, at the end, uh, particularly this, um, the, the fortress of Bozra or the stronghold of Bozra, 
This is an interesting one uh, because you see this happening in the Old Testament a number of times. You have these kind of great fortress cities that the people think are never going to be able to be destroyed. Like, we've, we have built this awesome thing that can never be destroyed. And Bozrah was one of these. It sat on this spur that came out of the mountains. Um, it had steep cliffs on three sides. The only way to get to it was from the east, which is in the middle of Edom. Um, and uh, uh, But it was also uh, coming in through the mountains. So you'd have to traverse all the mountains and then come in. I mean, it's just it was kind of this what was considered an, an impenetrable fortress. Um, but later on, um, you have both the, um, uh, who is it? You have the, uh, the Assyrians come in um, and they have to basically pay tribute to a bunch of Syrian kings. And then eventually later, um, you have um, the uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and conquers them and, and basically destroys um, this, this fortress city, right? Um, and so it, it, it comes to pass, you know, a couple hundred years later, but, um, this, this is instructive for us, right? We, we, we're really good at thinking that, um, that we're untouchable. Um, and what the Lord is doing, especially in the opening chapters of Amos is saying, you're not, nobody is, everybody can, can be touched, so to speak by the Lord's wrath. But at the same time that this promise we get at the, the end uh, um, becomes so wonderful because while, while everybody can be, uh, destroyed by the Lord's wrath, so also everybody, um, is, is died for by Jesus. Everybody, um, is, is, um, uh, can be covered with the Lord's blood. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we're urged to repent like all of these towns, right. We're no different than any of them. Um, and to stand only under the Lord's mercy, not in our pride, not in our haughtiness, not in, uh, not in our fortress cities that we think are impregnable, uh, but under uh, the merciful arms of the Lord. Pastor Sean Kelgo is the pastor at the Northeast Kansas Lutheran Partnership, help, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Pastor Kelgo, thank you for your time today. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us looking at Amos and our own need to repent so that we, too, would stand under the Lord's mercy. Thanks for studying with us today. Talk to you again next week.